Run the Film is brought to you by GameTime, your new go-to app for the best deals on last-minute tickets. Did you know NFL ticket prices tend to drop right before the game starts? GameTime tracks prices in real time for thousands of trusted sellers, then shows you all the best last-minute deals with prices up to 60% off. More than 12 million fans have downloaded the GameTime app and discovered the fastest, easiest way to get into the game. So the Niners are playing the Carolina Panthers. It's going to be their toughest game yet. It's going to be at Levi's Stadium. So if you want tickets to that game, make sure you check out GameTime. So head to the App Store or Play Store now to download GameTime and score awesome deals on last-minute tickets. Man, you gotta get a you gotta get a, a cheat sheet or something. That's terrible. That'll kill us. You like that? You like that? I'm just about that action, boss. You cannot lose games in the NFL and still win. You are listening to Run the Film with Kirk Morrison and Ted Nguyen, only on the Athletic Podcast Network. Welcome back, welcome back, welcome back. As always, as always, this is Run the Film on the Athletic Podcast Network. Alongside my host, Ted Nguyen, this is Kirk Morris, an eight-year NFL veteran. And as we always do, we look back to week number seven in the National Football League, and we look ahead to week number eight. Had some great games from a week ago, but we also had some games not so good for some teams. We look at the news and notes of the NFL. It is almost the trade deadline. What teams are going to be sellers? What teams are going to be buyers? We'll look ahead, too, to some of the games that we feel you should be watching in week number eight. And then also, too, our players to watch like we always do. Guys who we think that you should be focusing on and see how they play in week number eight. Uh, I guess to start this thing off, Ted, I'm going to be honest. We still have two teams in the NFL that are undefeated. We have one in the NFC, one in the AFC. I think with the AFC, we're not surprised. With the NFC... This team just keeps on chugging. And now it goes from now just a belief that if they continue to put out the way that they are, could this possibly be a team that could be an NFC championship kind of team? And that team I'm talking about is the San Francisco 49ers and the NFC undefeated and the New England Patriots who are undefeated in the AFC. Yeah, I mean, I think the Niners are going to start regressing a little bit just because all those injuries have to start catching up to them and they just haven't played you know and I'm, I'm not taking away anything from them i'm not one of those guys who say, oh they haven't played anybody yet but when they start playing some of those tougher opponents uh i think those injuries are going to start catching up with them and th- they'll lose a few games here and there but i think they're still an elite team i do buy their stock uh, once they do get healthy uh, that defense is legit but right now that offense is a little iffy with the two missing tackles and uh kyle Juszczyk being hurt um, so I, I still buy the Niners. I think they'll, they'll start regressing a little bit though. Yeah. When you say regressing though, are we saying that because you're saying injuries or just that the offense is just that bad? Or is there the possibility that this offense is really still a work in progress and the more games they keep playing, we could see a team that could be offensively driven and not just led by his defense. I think it just has to do with the injuries, and I, I, I'm not sure that Garoppolo is good enough to uh, consistently play at a level that can um, that can overcome those injuries. Um, you know, it, I, I know it's a super sloppy game against the Redskins. Uh, they only scored 
nine points. Um, so I'm, I'm interested to see if how that offense is going to perform with all those injuries against a, a better team. But right now, that, that defense is playing pretty elite. So they'll keep them in games, but it's, that offense is going to have to eventually step up. Yeah, I, I agree. I mean, I think the offense for San Francisco is one that's still a work in progress um, in terms of, hey, the quarterback. And I, I said his last time now, he has finally started 16 games. How about that? Let's give a round of applause for Jimmy Garoppolo, by the way. Started 16 games finally in the NFL, so now he is no longer what I consider a rookie. I know he's been in longer people, but still, though, he is now having to take the next step and now start to put games on his shoulders. If, the, if it wasn't for this defense of San Francisco, I don't know if people will be really buying in on Jimmy Garoppolo right now, but because the defense is playing well and he's doing just enough, right? He's doing just enough to help the team get by. Honestly, he's not messing it up. And that's really, look, I'm fine with that. I'm good with that. But like you mentioned, we know as you start to get into November and December, you are going to need that guy, the quarterback, to start making plays. And when he does start to make those plays, what kind of team do you see this being? Is this a conference championship kind of contender, Ted, in your eyes right now? Or is this a team that you think, hey, they can win the division, make the playoffs, but NFC championship may not be uh, where they they could head to? No, I think they're definitely in the conversation as um, a potential NFC uh, champion. I mean, once they get Staley and McGlinchey back, uh, they're going to be able to run the ball. And with that defense, they could shorten the clock up. And like you talked about, Garoppolo just seems to have a knack for making the plays when they when they need him to. Um, and, but he has to stop with those boneheaded interceptions. Like, you know, once a game, he, he just throws a ball up and you're just like, why did he do that? So, you know, he so far hasn't bit them in the butt just yet. But it's going to cost him eventually in a, in a big game, and that's something that he really has to cut out. But um, I, I do believe this team is going to uh, challenge for the NFC Championship, especially when uh, they're healthy and they can run the ball like they're uh, used to running. Yeah, I think they're going to rely on that run game. And look, they, they, it, it'll start to open up. I think the second half of the season for them offensively will start to open up. I know the competition is going to get tougher, right? When I'm looking at their schedule, a couple teams that kind of come to mind, obviously, they're going to have the Seahawks twice. They're going to have the Rams again. They got the Saints, they got the Ravens, and they've got the Packers to go along with us, you know, a feisty. Arizona Cardinals team that to me right now, look, they're kind of uh, looking uh, totally different than we saw them in the beginning of the year. They're three, three and one. And you look at the NFC West, like at first you're like, ah, oh, NFC West, you got maybe, you know, Niners can be a contender. Rams are probably at the top, Seattle right behind them. And then I look at the, the NFC West, Ted, and I'm like, there's nobody with a losing record in the NFC West. All these teams are at 500 or above. And then you're like, man, this could be the best division in football. Am, am I wrong with that? I still think the NFC North is um, is a better division, but it, it's Ooh, a pretty with, with Trubisky in there. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, oh, you, said, you said with Trubisky or minus Trubisky, man, because right now he's bringing the NFC North all know, the way down. I know, I know. Oh man, he's single handedly <laughs> bringing whole, down the entire division. Uh, but yeah, I mean, oof, that's yeah. Trubisky played a rough game, and we'll talk about that in a second. Um, but yeah, talk moving on to the trade deadline. That the Niners are also looking for receiving help, and um, there's there are reports out there that they're looking at uh, trading for Emmanuel Sanders, and I think that's such a perfect fit to go with that offense. And he, Emmanuel Sanders already knows 
the offense because of the quarterback coach. I can't pronounce his last names. Um, for the Niners last year is now the offensive coordinator for the Broncos. So he's installing that offense over there uh, in Denver. So it'll be a seamless transition if he gets traded to the Niners. So I think uh, they should really try to get Sanders. Yeah. I, you know what? I, honestly, like now that you, you mentioned the, the trade deadline and there's some teams that are going to be sellers and going to be buyers. Um, I mentioned earlier, there was two teams undefeated in the NFL one, obviously, we just talked about, Sarasville 49ers. The other team undefeated is the New England Patriots. We saw them on Monday night, Ted. And, look, they just dismantled the, the, the New York Jets. Just a, just It was just a bad game for the Jets all the way around. Sam Darnold, we'll talk about him a little bit later in the program. But the Patriots, they go out, take care of business, and you would think that they would just sit on their hands, feel comfortable where they're at. And, no, they go out. They kind of kick some things off for this week's uh, trades. They trade for Muhammad Sanu. They give up a second-round pick. To me, that's a that's a lot for a receiver who was kind of what, third, fourth on the – maybe fourth, I call it, on the depth chart because, you know, Julio was number one. I thought Calvin Ridley had kind of surpassed him. And think about this. Austin Hooper was one of the, you know, highly uh, rated tight ends coming in in terms of how many catches that he had so far this year. So Sanu had kind of dropped all the way out of kind of being the productive receiver that they first got in free agency a couple years ago. But with New England making that trade, okay, that's one less wide receiver on the market. And if you're the 49ers or your other teams looking for for help right now, I think we, we honestly have to start looking around and say who's truly a buyer and who's truly a seller right now, right? Yeah, yeah. And I, I, I just, you know, going back to Sanders, I just think that, he offers really good value right now because you know he's not going to cost a lot. He's not going. I don't think he'll cost more than a third. You know, even a third round draft pick might be a little high to get him. And I, I was really surprised that the the Patriots would trade a second round draft pick for Mohamed Sanu. I mean, I, I think Sanu is a really good receiver, uh, but a second round draft pick for you know an older guy that is more of a number two type of receiver um, is is a lot. So, but you know. We can't really question what the the Patriots have done because they they've made so many successful moves. So they obviously are, are going to have a plan for Sanu. Um, so interested to see how that works out. And do you think that Stefan Diggs is really going to get traded? I mean, we know that he he does want to get traded, but I, it's just hard for me to see the Vikings letting him go unless they, somebody just really blows him out of the water with a great offer. No, I don't believe that we're going to see a Stephon Diggs trade. The way that the Minnesota Vikings have played over the last couple of weeks. Now, look, granted, there are day games, I call them. Kirk Cousins plays totally different in the national TV setting and even at night. But right now, you you have to think that the way that they've played over the last couple of weeks and winning, winning does a lot, right? Winning cures a lot for you. And I think we haven't heard sort of those grumblings, you know, those gripes so much. That's what winning does when you're losing, when they – when the Vikings had lost a couple games earlier, everybody's pointing at Kirk Cousins. You know, we look at the production. You know, you bring in a new offensive mind, you know, Gary Kubiak and those guys. And so some people are saying, you know, maybe I may not fit in this offense. There is frustration. But when you see Stephon Diggs scoring touchdowns, he's wild. You know, he's, he's laughing. He's happy. That, to me, says that he's probably going to stay put. But it's the – and when I say this, it's these other teams that I'm kind of focusing on now – who we know are kind of what I call sellers, right? Any team right now for me that is under 500 or maybe only have one or two losses, 
you know there are going to be some guys who are up. And so if we're just kind of focusing right now on wide receivers, you mentioned Emmanuel Sanders, Stephon Diggs. I think the next guy for me is A.J. Green. And if I'm the Baltimore, I'm sorry, if I'm the Cincinnati Bengals, new, ta- new head coach Zach Taylor, how much do I believe in A.J. Green? I mean, he's been a bit injury prone over the last couple of years, right? What kind of player am I getting? What kind of player am I getting for the future as I try to install my offense? As I try to, I'm not even, I'm not even sure that my quarterback is that I have currently, Andy Dalton, is going to be here. You're sitting right now at 0-7. Come on, Ted, think about this. If you're Zach Taylor, if you're the Cincinnati Bengals, is it a fire sale right now? Because for me, I'm saying, look, you can have everybody. Let's just cut this thing all the way down to the bottom and build back up, get some draft picks, draft a quarterback, and put some life back into the city of Cincinnati. No, I agree. I think that's what they should do. But based on what they've said, they don't. It doesn't seem like they are going to go for you know a fire sale. It doesn't seem like they're going to trade Green. I, th- I think. Taylor wants to see what his offense will look like with Green, but I, th- I think that's kind of foolish. You know, just he's an older wide receiver. He he's injury prone right now, and uh, he, he's going to be a free agent next year, I believe. And it does you know it just doesn't make sense to to invest a lot of money into an older wide receiver at the stage of you know where your team is right now. Uh, so I, I think that there is that temptation of seeing how your offense going to perform with green and, you know, with all the bad things going on in Cincinnati, it'd be nice to have a spark, but you got to, you know, think about the future right now and, and try to get as much as you can for AJ green, especially with all these teams kind of desperate for a uh, wide receiver. You know, as we, as I'm kind of just speaking, it just came to my mind and just thinking about it. We have not heard much about him, but Trent Williams is still out there. Right. I mean, I know he the, the Washington Redskins are not going to trade him. They said that we will not trade him, but he is still um, you know, has not shown up. He's holding out. He wants to be traded. Uh, Washington does not want to grant him his wish. And you look at Washington, they're sitting at one and six. And I would think that they would be teams who would be kind of have a fire sale, get rid of some guys and kind of move on because they're going to have a new head coach next year. Why just kind of avoid the inevitable? And so. It's kind of weird that they aren't listening to more, you know, I guess trade offers for Trent Williams and kind of move on, get what you can and move on. Because I think teams are willing to, for, you know, give up a first round pick. I just look at the Houston Texans and what they gave up for Laramie Tunsil. And I look at the production that they've had along that offensive line since they've acquired him. And I'm like, yeah, uh, if I if a guy like Trent Williams is available, I'm giving up a couple first round picks. So that could be something that, you know, other teams could be looking at in terms of his trying to solidify that left tackle position. Yeah, for sure. I, I mean, wh- what team do you think needs a left tackle right now that, w- that would give up um, high draft picks for Trent Williams? Mm, that's a good one. Uh, that, that's because I think the one thing we have to clarify is the team that's in it, right? Mm-hmm. That you feel like if you're in it. I think the Cleveland Browns, if they can get oh, yeah. Trent Williams, <laughs> I mean, I, I would take that. Um, I would think the Buffalo Bills could be in it. I mean, think about getting a guy like Trent Williams is not just, hey, we're getting him for this year. I think we're getting him for the long term. I think he's still uh, in the second or third year of a, of a five-year deal, I think, I believe. So he, if you trade for him, you're going to get him for a long period of time. Um, so I, I would think that that would be great. Um, just looking at some other teams right now. Um, could you you could possibly say, hey, Minnesota, but I don't know if it's a big major need um, for for them. 
Um, San Francisco, we know they've got some guys who are going to be coming back at some point, you know, the, the, but both of them are out. Could that be a situation that you could probably see happening there? Um, but really, um, the one guy also, too, I'm looking at is, I know we kind of wrote it down here, was Vic Beasley, um, the defensive end of the Atlanta Falcons. When I start to look at the teams right now, who we're seven weeks past, we're now week week eight, and these are the teams that I look at, Ted, that I'm like, okay, what good players do you have? Because they've, they're have they already looking to move on. So I look at Miami, Cincinnati. I look at a team like the Washington Redskins, New York Giants, the Atlanta Falcons. And and that's about it, really. Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Um, I look at those types of teams right now that after this week, you're like, okay, Look, we got to get what we can because if we don't, we're going to be stuck with players who we don't want. And if we're trying to build for next year, it, it's hard. I, I've been in this situation, though, Ted. I think that's what the scary part is. I've been in that situation to where you're like, man, this doesn't feel like we're trying to win today. This feels like we're trying to load up for next year. And I think that's where some of these teams, uh, like Atlanta, you know, it could be it's, it's maybe harsh for them, but they got to get rid of Vic Beasley because it just hasn't worked out. Yeah, I agree, and I think Vic Beasley is a little overrated because he had that, yeah, you know, he had that one season where he had 15 and a half sacks, and he had six sacks in one game, I believe, um, and he just hasn't really produced that much um, ever since. But I mean, it, you know, t- teams are looking for pass rushers. I know the Raider. There was reports that the Raiders are going to be. Um, heavily looking for a, a trade partner for a pass pass rusher. Um, so he, he, he might get traded. Um, and you know, we talked about, we, we didn't put this guy down on the list, but do you think maybe Ryan Kerrigan could be at a trade block for the Redskins? They're not going anywhere fast. Kerrigan's an older player that can provide some value for other teams. Right. Yeah. And I think you want to do right by some of these other guys, who you know, probably aren't going to fit in your plans for the future. I know Kerrigan's been a long mainstay. With Washington, I think he brings, uh, you know, great pass rush ability. Uh, I think he was one of those guys who um, can play outside linebacker, play defensive end, so he can be versatile in your base and in your nickel. Um, and, look, it's really like a one-year rental almost, and then he hits the free agent market, can sign another big contract. So I see him as another one of those guys, like you mentioned, uh, that's going to be out there that's possibly you could make a deal for. Um, we taped this podcast, the Run the Film Podcast, Ted Nguyen, I'm Kirk Morrison, and we taped this on Tuesdays. So a lot of time as we're taping this and re- reviewing, you know, the, the prior week's games, we get a ton of news sometimes that happened later in the day. And I remember this time a week ago, and we had just finished up the Run the Film Podcast, and boom, next thing you know, it's the trade, the Rams trade for Jalen Ramsey um, from the uh, Jacksonville Jaguars. The Rams traded away their cornerback, Marcus Peters, to the Baltimore Ravens. And then, just recently, we had Gary and Conley. He was traded from the Raiders to the Houston Texans. We've had three cornerbacks traded in this past week. Um, first of all, my thoughts, I mean, I mean, your thoughts, Ted, on the, the uh, all three trades. And, and then, do you see any more cornerbacks, possibly, as I look and scan you know, throughout the NFL, that could be possibly on the move? Uh, I, I think Jalen Ramsey trade was expensive, uh, but it does allow the Rams to play more bump and run coverage. I think that Wade Phillips wants to play more bump and run. And I think this year uh, they he 
played a little more cover four because it fit Marcus Peters' skill set a little bit more. Uh, but now with Jalen Ramsey, you get probably the best bumper run corner in the league. Uh, so uh, they're going to play a lot more aggressively. I think that's going to improve the defense overall. So I, I like that trade. Uh, had a, a bit of a rough game against Julio Jones, but who who wouldn't have a rough game against Julio Jones? But they but that's what they want him there for. They want they want him there so they can put him on an island with uh, elite receivers. Um, and Marcus Peters made an instant impact when he got to the Ravens. Ooh, did he? Uh, yeah, he got a pick six, but that was a, that was a pretty terrible throw by Russell Wilson. But I mean, you know, Peters does that uh, has been doing that his entire career, um, and he helps shore up that defense a little bit. There, um, Gary Conley, I, I wasn't that surprised he was traded just because there's been a lot of um, little inklings and whispers that the, tra- the coaches just weren't very happy with Gary Conley and his attitude with the Raiders. And he, you know, topped that off with the, the he was just having a really bad year. Um, and he, he showed some promise towards the end of last season. Um, but this year he was just getting burned. And against the Packers, he had a really tough, terrible game. And uh, to get a third-round draft pick, I thought was actually pretty good value for where his his stock is at right now. Um, and I, I can't really foresee any corners being traded. Maybe Patrick Peterson, uh, but you know, also the Cardinals are playing better, uh, better. So maybe they want to keep Peter Peterson to see how far they could take this thing. Yeah, just my little quick take on 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 these trades, and then we'll start to look at the games from Week Seven uh, on the Run the Film podcast here. Kirk Morrison and Ted to win. Uh, Jalen Ramsey, you got to make the trade. Um, I think I defer with you just a little bit. I don't look at the, the draft compensation anymore. I feel like in today's NFL, it's about right now. I can't go with these possible, you know, hopefully first round picks. What can they pan out? I look at the quarterbacks of last year, and obviously Lamar Jackson is probably at the top, but you look at the Sam Darnolds and Baker Mayfields and, um, you know, Josh Allen's actually playing okay, but Josh Rosen. So think about all the people that's like, I'm not saying that they're wasted first round picks, but man, if I can go out and get it for sure, first rounder, I mean, for, for sure talent with my first round pick and not have to worry and see if my guy's going to progress. It's too much waiting. I know right now I trade a first round pick for Jalen Ramsey. I know what I'm getting. So I like to trade for the Rams. Marcus Peters had just kind of look, he's a, he's an area space, you know, uh, zone corner. He's a guy that likes to bait quarterbacks into throws like he did last week versus Russell Wilson, right? Russell thought it was there. Boom. He baited him. Touchdown, you know, pick six touchdown. It's a better opportunity for him. And then also too, I could throw this in there. Uh, Don Martindale, who's the linebackers coach for the, uh, well, sorry, who's a defensive coordinator for the Baltimore Ravens was my guy, was my defensive coordinator slash linebackers coach when I was with the Oakland Raiders. I know the defense that he runs. This is going to be great for Marcus Peters. He liked to play a little bit of man, but with some zone principles in there. So Marcus Peters, I think he's gonna, this is better for him than what Wade Phillips wants to do. And for Gary and Conley, I just thought that no matter what, it wasn't going to work out with him in Oakland. He just, to me, what they were asking him to do, that's not, kind of the corner that he is right I think that you go to Houston you're not going to play a lot of man-to-man I think you're going to play some zone um and then just the teams that you go up against right you look at that division in the AFC South is there a receiver that you're truly really scared of too that you can feel like okay that he can basically run with everybody the best one in that division is the one on the opposite side of his team and DeAndre Hopkins so you don't have to worry about seeing him so I think it was a good trade for Houston they got what they they got a former first round pick and the Raiders can start their youth movement, right? They're already looking toward the 
I'm not saying they're looking toward next year, but I think that they kind of understand where they're at right now. And if they can get any draft capital, they most certainly will. So we turn to last week's games, previewing last week's games. And there were some some games in which you would say, okay, I like this one, I like this one. But to me, I honestly believe that the game of the week happened in Seattle. I could just see it in his face. And I asked him, I said, I said, you want to go for it? And he's like, yeah, I want to go for it. Let's get it. I was told that Marshall said, if he wants to go for it, I want to go for it. I felt the same way. I mean, if he wants to go for it, I want to go for it too. And uh, so went down and called timeout. It was just a great play. Baltimore Ravens, they traveled to Seattle. It was Lamar Jackson versus Russell Wilson. It was the Ravens D versus the Seattle Seahawks defense. It was so many storylines, but at the end of the day, Ted, the Baltimore Ravens go in there and they steal a victory, 30 to 16. And I, I, I try when I watched this game, I sat back and the one thing that I really marveled at, and I wanted to make this point, and I wrote this down right here, Ted. I really wanted to make this point to you, and you tell me what you think about it. The best thing that Lamar Jackson probably has done so far, either since he's been in the league or before he got the league, you know what the best thing I think that he's done was not run the 40. Okay. And people may say, well, why? He, we know he's fast, but we never know how fast he is. Right. Like to me, there are certain guys who run the 40. Like uh, I'll just throw John Ross out there. John Ross ran with like a 4 2. So you're like, oh, okay, if I'm a corner, I know that this guy's 4'2". I got to get on my horse. I got to make sure I get ready to go. Or certain quarterbacks like Kyler Murray. What do you, Kyler Murray ran with a 4, I don't know, like 4'5 or something like that. There's a quarterback. You're like, okay, he can go. I don't know the true speed of Lamar Jackson, and I think a lot of players don't know until when. All of a sudden, it's third and five, and he pulls it down. He's like, whoa, I don't know that speed. That's 4-2. That's where I, I, you, you can't understand his speed until the game starts. And I think that's what I saw in parts of this game because they tried to have a spy on Lamar Jackson. He ran right by the spy. He made some unbelievable plays on third down and even the fourth down run that really, to me, kind of won the game for him. To me, Lamar Jackson and this offense ran by Greg Roman is, to me, still – uh, a, a work in progress, but it works. And I think it will continue to work. And I think he will continue to be a, a, be a much better passer if guys don't drop the ball. But man, what a game we saw last week in Seattle. Yeah. And you, you just don't see guys separate from Bobby Wagner and make him look slow, but yeah. Lamar Jackson made guys <laughs> like Bobby Wagner look slow. And um, it, it's just it's really, really fun to watch. And, uh, he, he's such a great athlete that you know, he I, there was a bunch of times where I thought he's going to slip in a rain making those kind of cuts, but he still stayed up, you know, whereas uh, some of the other guys are just slipping and falling in a rain and not I, I think people don't may, might not understand that, but there's some runners that could run and stay balanced in the rain and there's other runners that just can't and, and Lamar can and that might pay dividends in the playoffs when you're playing in some uh, bad weather and you know, Jackson can run around there and make plays like he did against uh, Seattle. Uh, did you play against Michael Vick? Yeah, I did. Played against Michael Vick. And uh, I actually have a picture of me tackling Michael Vick. Now, here's the caveat, though. 
I played against Michael Vick with the Eagles. That he wasn't Vick with the Falcons. There was two. There's two distinctions, right? Vick with the Falcons, that was a bad dude. When Vick was with the Eagles, remember he was coming off obviously being incarcerated for the, the whole dogfighting thing. He was away from football for a bit, and so he never really truly got back to that top end speed. He was still very athletic, still had the burst and things like that, but it wasn't. The vintage Mike Vick that I mean a lot of people had you know had known had, or had come to see, but I got him down to the ground. I had a one on one tackle, went for the outside hip, got him down, and he might have been kind of already falling, but hey, I don't care. I got the <laughs> tackle. So, but it, it was those types of quarterbacks that you always had to be aware for them and where they were running and where they were going. But I go back to Greg Roman again because there are times watching that game and just kind of looking at it on films that. They ran some plays maybe two, three times in a row, like just continue to run. And like in the NFL, people or I think coordinators, they run a play and it gets a two-yard loss, one-yard loss, right? And what happens? Everybody's like, oh, okay. They take that one almost out of the playbook. Greg Roman literally had a two-yard loss and ran the same play again and got five, ran the same play again and got seven, and then ran the same play again and it puts pressure on the defense because it's giving you so many different looks. It's almost like a triple option that he's running, where you have the dive player who was Mark Ingram, you have obviously the quarterback in, in uh, Lamar Jackson, and then you have possibly a pitch player. And the one thing that I'm seeing is that they have so many caveat plays off of it. They can run a G pull, right? Have a guard pull out in front, and it turns into a quarterback sweep. Then by the goal line, they go and you know maybe do student. They do student body right. They utilize all the tight ends and just have a bunch of beef up there. And that's how Lamar Jackson sometimes acts like he's running toward where all the beef is, right? Where all the tight ends at. And people over pursue and he cuts back. That's what another one I saw in the game where he scored a touchdown. And then I think also the biggest thing, Ted, when I when I see Lamar Jackson playing right now, is that. He's a much better passer than I think a lot of people give him credit for. Uh, we've seen I saw a ton of drops. Uh, obviously, Andrews, the tight end, had a couple of big drops. He had like three or four. But I think no one for, people forget that he's he played last week also without you know Hollywood Brown, Marquise Hollywood Brown. And you got to understand for him, that guy who we saw remember in the beginning of the, of the, of the season. When teams are going to start to try to crowd the box, I don't know if there's a guy who can keep up with Hollywood Brown, the wide receiver. We saw what he can he was able to do. He can get behind the defense. When he's healthy, when he comes back, I'm telling you, Ted, this offense is going to look totally different. I think it's going to be even more scary with a guy like Lamar Jackson running it. Yeah, and Miles Boykins, the other rookie receiver from Notre right. Dame, he, he's starting Just to a big body. A too. Oh, yeah. yeah. He's a big body. You, you kind of like in the red zone with him. Yeah, and, and the thing with Lamar is he the best pass he throws is a deep ball with with touch. Yes, he, absolutely. And, and he he could struggle a little bit with those you know outside short to intermediate routes, uh, but he he could throw the ball with touch. So when he gets Brown back, um, that that offense is is still like you said it's still a work in progress, but it's it's working right now. The, the Ravens are winning games. I know we focused on the Ravens a little bit, but did this loss by Seattle, did it do anything? Did it change your mind on how this team looks to uh, for where they're at right now? No, I, I think that I still like Seattle. I, I think uh, it, it was an odd choice because Schottenheimer likes to run the ball and he gets he gets criticized for being conservative. But for some reason, he chose this game to really try to air the ball out. 
And Russell Wilson was just having a lot of trouble throwing in a rain, and he only completed 48% of his passes, which probably is his uh, career low. So I, I thought it was an odd choice. Maybe he was just really um, gave too much respect to the Ravens' run defense. Um, but, yeah, this was an odd game to choose to uh, start airing the ball out. Yeah, I, I would think so. I thought that they tried to run the ball uh, for the most part, but it kind of goes back. Like, you get a negative play, and do you go away from it? Where I thought, like I said, Greg Roman said, I don't care about the negative plays. This is who we are. This is what we do. And they continue to run those plays. And so I, I think Brian Schottenheimer, the one thing that I think going forward, too, uh, for them is that you kind of know what your offense is going to be in terms of, hey, we've got Russell and he can kind of make some things up and ad lib, you know, when he can. But to me, I do want to see some production from the tight end, which when they lost Will Disley, they don't have that anymore. And so now if I'm a defensive coordinator, probably similar to what the Ravens are, you're probably going to go man to man on the outside with DK. You're going to go man to man with Tyler Lockett and just try to keep a safety in the middle of the field and just try to find ways to have help over the top for those guys and then keep a spy on Russell Wilson. And then hopefully keep an extra guy near the box. But right now, if you look at the Seattle Seahawks, Ted, I think right now between the numbers and the, like the hashes, they don't have anybody who's going to man that, right? They don't have anybody who's going to take that away. And I thought they had that when they had Jimmy Graham a couple seasons ago. But without the tight end presence within that middle of the field, I think that their offense is actually kind of limited. And I thought the uh, the Baltimore Ravens defense kind of showed that. Yeah, they're, they're going to have to find some way to – replace that production whether they, they play Metcalf maybe in a slot a little bit more and get a big body inside for Wilson to throw to I thought I thought they were going to do that um, a little bit more but they, they kept Metcalf on the outside um, so so yeah I mean losing Disley is, is it's a pretty big loss for that offense yeah he was huge now they try to get Luke Wilson um, former well, former Seahawk then was cut from the Raiders I know in the last final cuts and so they're trying to kind of bring him back into the fold because he's a, you know, actually won a Super Bowl with the Seahawks and, you know, just not the same player. So that's kind of the areas of concern for me when I look at Seattle. But to me, I thought that was one of the better games of the week. Now, I think the second best game of the weekend, or maybe some would have said was possibly supposed to be the best game, right? Was the Eagles at the Cowboys. Well, that's something we emphasize. Obviously, have not done a good enough job of that up to this point this season. But they're the difference-making plays in the game. And uh, we took the ball away. We cashed it in. We took the ball away. We cashed it in. The offense did a great job you know, winning in those sudden change situations. But I think it was four takeaways for the game. And when you do that and you stay plus three on the, on the turnover ledger, uh, it's going to be a great chance to win a lot of football games. And look, I have to raise my hand when I'm wrong. I totally saw this game going a different way. I thought this was going to be the Philadelphia's, you know, Philadelphia's game to win, to go into Dallas, kind of get their, you know, get their act together and beat up on a Cowboys team that just lost to the New York Jets. And I think that's a crime in itself, the way the New York Jets played on Monday night and to say that that team beat the Cowboys, like, come on. But totally different outcome than we expected. The Dallas Cowboys basically they blow out the Philadelphia Eagles 37 to 10. Carson Wentz 16 to 26, 191, one touchdown, one INT. Dak Prescott 21 for 27, 239, one touchdown, one rushing touchdown. He had the one interception. But when you were watching this game, 
it just early on. I mean, it didn't, it didn't take me five to ten minutes that the Dallas Cowboys were were on a mission, right? They playing at home. They just had a lot more energy, and they played like it, Ted. I, I, I didn't really see anything to where schematically they're like, oh, okay, they out-schemed or they out -did. To me, this was just the Cowboys' special teams, their defense made plays and allowed the offense to just, just be okay. Like, the offense wasn't super great, but they were set up by playing some outstanding defense and creating some opportunities. For more Week 7 recaps and Week 8 previews, plus players to watch, Go to theathletic.com slash run the film.